As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. How is the rollout going so far? Well, I think we're really hitting our stride. Wisconsin is an embarrassment compared to other states. The rollout has not gone real smoothly. That's just unacceptable. That's unacceptable. This is absolutely unacceptable. We're working to distribute the vaccine doses as quickly and as fairly as we can. There seems to be no sense of urgency with the Evers administration. I want to be clear that that supply chain is not within uh, Wisconsin's control. It's the number of doses coming into the state. I have been contacted by vaccinators telling me that we have vaccine on the shelf, ready to go. We share your interests in getting vaccines into arms as quickly as possible. This is too important of an issue. People's lives are at stake. We should be focused on one thing and one thing only, getting as many people immunized as fast as possible. Researchers around the globe produced COVID-19 vaccines faster than anyone thought possible, but getting the life-saving serum into human arms is proving to be a monumental challenge. More than 11 million Americans have now received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, but tracking data shows Wisconsin is lagging behind. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Brian. We are recording on Tuesday, January 19th. As of this morning, the CDC shows just 3.9% of the U.S. population has received a COVID-19 vaccine so far. In Wisconsin, it's 2.9%. Last week, the State Assembly's Health Committee called the Department of Health Services to the Capitol to do some explaining. So, Brian, first, let's talk about how Wisconsin's vaccine rollout compares to other states so far. It's natural you're going to do some comparisons. You're going to look at how are some states doing versus others. And when you rank all of the states, and actually the CDC tracks this, they include territories like Guam and Puerto Rico and others. Uh, But just looking at the 50 states and the District of Columbia, so a ranking of 1 to 51, Wisconsin is currently 41st in the country in terms of vaccine administration. And I want to be clear what that means. There, there are different numbers that are being tracked by the CDC. First is distribution, which is, in other words, how many doses of the vaccine have been sent to your state. Um, that, that's one number. And then there's vaccine administration, which is how many of those doses have you then gotten into people's arms? How many have actually been injected into humans? And it's that administration number that we're looking at um, because, obviously, that's the one that really matters. It doesn't matter where they're sitting on shelves. It matters who's been inoculated. And uh, in, at the moment, Wisconsin has gotten a little under 3% of the population injected with at least one dose. Now, we know that both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are two-dose regimens. So for full effect, uh, for the full 95% effectiveness that was measured in clinical trials, you need to get these two doses spaced 21 days apart. So um, we don't yet know 
what it's going to take to get the rest of those people their second dose. We just know that at least about 3% of Wisconsin's population, a little under that, has, has gotten that first dose so far. Comparatively, nationwide, the average is about 4%, but we know some states have done considerably better. In fact, you and I were just talking before we started recording, Amanda, about the state of uh, West Virginia, which is getting uh, a lot of, uh, it's being lauded for doing so well. Now, even at that, West Virginia is currently at 7.5% of its population that's been inoculated. It's still nowhere near the number that's needed to reach uh, you know, herd immunity or something that's really going to knock down the pandemic, but they're way ahead of the game compared to a lot of other states, and we'll talk about why in just a little bit, one of the reasons that they may have sort of sped ahead of everyone else. Um, Wisconsin ranks 41st out of those 51 states and Washington, D.C., so we're toward the bottom. We're certainly in the bottom quartile, and, and that's got some people in the state here... Uh, uh, not too happy, particularly Wisconsin Republicans who've called the governor and the Department of Health Services to the carpet for what they say has been a slow rollout. Well, and if you talk to the people who work at Department of Health Services, they're saying, hey, we need a, a greater supply of vaccines. But it sounds like the issue here is we're not using the entire supply of vaccines. We're not getting them all into people's arms. Is that right? Well, it, as is often true when you start to talk politics and finger pointing, there's a little bit of truth to go around because there is truth. The, the Department of Health Services has been very clear that they say the problem is we're not getting enough vaccine here. The federal government isn't getting it here as fast as we thought uh, we would be getting it. So the Moderna and, and Pfizer vaccines uh, combined, the state has been receiving about 70,000 doses a week. And they expect that's going to ramp up here in the near future. But up until now, that's 70,000 doses. If you look at the fact that the first phase of vaccine distribution was for nursing home residents and healthcare workers, that group alone is 550,000 people in the state of Wisconsin. 70,000 doses a week means it's going to take seven or eight weeks to get those people inoculated with one dose, at, even if all those doses were going out just like that. So there is truth to the fact that the slow rollout of vaccines to the state has been part of the problem. But where Wisconsin Republicans have really been critical of, uh, of DHS so far is in the number of doses that have come. Even if it's only 70,000 a week, their take is then every one of those should be getting into arms. If you don't have enough vaccine and there's high demand, which we know is the case, then you should be getting every one of those doses into somebody's arm right away. And in fact, what we're seeing is that's not the case. I, I don't know what the latest numbers are because I didn't look this morning, but as of late last week, it was roughly around half, maybe a little above half of the doses that have been shipped out in Wisconsin have actually been administered. Now, DHS says part of that is just a simple lag time. They get here and it takes about a week to 10 days to get them out to the different vaccinators across the state and into people's arms. So the doses we're receiving this week are counted in the what's been distributed to Wisconsin, but they won't be counted in the administration totals until potentially a week or 10 days from now. But that hasn't explained all of the gap. And, and there are some places we're hearing about, especially in rural parts of the state, where there are vaccinators who have run through their phase 1A uh, populations. They've gotten through the healthcare workers. They've gotten through the people who qualify under phase 1A. And they're saying, we're ready to do more. DHS, can we start vaccinating others? And that's where the DHS has not given them any guidance or green light to go ahead. So is that because in other parts of the state, we have other people in that 1A group, healthcare workers and nursing home residents who haven't been vaccinated? So in other words, we have parts of the state where that group, they're done. They'd like to move forward with the next group, 
but then there's hesitancy to do that when there are other parts of the state that don't have that group 1A done? Like, are we not distributing them and shifting them to, to the right parts of the state as quickly as we need to? Well, I, I think there might be, there's probably a lot of factors. This is a complex process, and there are a lot of things that could play into this. One of those things is, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, there is a, even though phase 1A includes both nursing home residents and healthcare workers, there's a separate program for inoculating nursing home residents that has its own rules and restrictions, and that has really delayed some things so far here in Wisconsin and in a number of other states. And it's one of the reasons West Virginia seems to be so far ahead of everybody else. We'll talk about that in a moment. But another factor is, and we haven't heard a whole lot of talk about this yet because there's still such a short supply of vaccine, but vaccine refusals are playing a role. People who say, I don't want this vaccine, I'm not comfortable, I don't know if it's safe enough yet. You've done a lot of reporting on the specific population of people who are pregnant uh, and are healthcare workers and aren't sure if they should be getting it. But there's a lot of other people who just simply don't trust it or don't want it. And, and a surprising number, I think, within healthcare itself, where you would think people would be uh, obviously uh, urgently wanting to get this because of the potential exposure. Uh, but that is playing a role. So you get some vaccinators say it's a hospital in a rural area, uh, that's requested a certain number of doses, they get the doses, they've vaccinated their healthcare population, at least the ones who wanted to get it. A significant number of others refuse to get it. They're not mandating it, so they've got vaccine on the shelf. They can't just go out and start inoculating nursing home residents because there's a separate program for that. So they're left with doses on the shelf. And they'd like to go on to first responders who don't qualify in phase one. They might like to go on to other uh, frontline essential workers, but the state is still working on what the next phase will look like. There is has been a lot of criticism, some of the harshest criticism from Republicans in the state against the Evers administration and Department of Health Services has been the fact that they are still trying to determine what phase 1B should look like. And that has gone through a process we've reported on a number of times, Amanda, subcommittees meeting over and over again to talk about who should get what, in what order, and what's next, who should be in 1B and who shouldn't. Right now, their 1B plan is open for public comment. I believe that public comment uh, may have, in fact, wrapped up on Monday. Maybe the public comment period has now closed, but they haven't yet met to go over that public comment and then finalize Phase 1B, which will then go on to the full State Disaster Medical Advisory Committee for approval and or tweaking. And then that'll go on to the Secretary of the Department of Health Services, which right now that's a whole other question because we know that the Secretary-designee, Andrea Palm, uh, who's never been confirmed as Secretary, has now just been named to a cabinet post in uh, in Joe Biden's administration. So uh, there's some you know stuff going on at the top up there. Ultimately, it's the governor, I think, who has to sign off on this. And the question is, when is that going to happen? When will we have a phase 1B that is set in stone? And, and some Republicans I spoke to, Senator Alberta Darling, particularly critical, saying, look, the federal government gave us guidelines. And yes, we have a right to tweak them to fit our state, but there's already guidelines there. And, and there's some feeling that there's a lot of, uh, it was uh, actually State Assemblyman Joe Sanfilippo, the chair of that health committee, who said we're playing what he called bureaucratic footsie in sort of determining the finer points and details of 1B. Republicans have just said, get a 1B plan out and let's get going. Well, and I think the interesting thing is, as we look at how those phases are set up, it's not like the committees that you're talking about aren't meeting often. I mean, twice a week, 
they're they're sitting down and discussing these issues. So it, it makes you wonder if there's just that much disagreement about who should be in phase 1B or if it's just baked into the process itself that there's going to be a lot of red tape. Maybe a little of both. And I think there's there's certainly a, a lot of uh, phase 1B, I, the, the members of this vaccine subcommittee who are uh, many of them are physicians from across the state. There are members of there are actually two representatives from the Wisconsin Department of Corrections who pushed hard to have prisoners into 1B. Um, there are other, uh, mem- you know, those who represent the aging population. Um, this is a controversial phase because we're still in the stage of short supply and high demand. So the question is, who is most important and needs to get this? Everyone ultimately has some claim to why it's important that they be inoculated and protected from COVID-19. And everyone could argue at one point or another that their job is important or their role in society is important. So this becomes, there's a lot of value judgments and ethics that go into to laying this out. So. It is controversial, and there's been a lot of discussion about what groups should be where. One of the more controversial uh, selections the committee made was to put prisoners, not just prison workers, but prisoners themselves, high up into phase 1B, but not include other essential frontline workers such as transit bus drivers or grocery store workers or people aged 65 to 74, many of whom have chronic health conditions and are extremely vulnerable to serious illness. So. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy, but you talk about the process also sort of being baked in. There, there was an interesting comment made at the, the health committee hearing by one of the Democrat uh, representatives, uh, Dan Reamer, uh, who said, when you look at what happened with the, the things such as the you know emergency safer at home order from DHS, when you look at what's happened with mask mandates, when... DHS or Governor Evers, he said, have gone and acted quickly without a lot of contemplation. They've been sued. They've been taken to court. They've been heavily criticized. Now you have Republicans saying you need to act more quickly and stop going through this very detailed process. And the uh, uh, assistant deputy secretary, Lisa Olson, who spoke before the health committee said, we believe right now it's important to have this very public and thorough process. So in other words, what, what Representative Reamer was saying is, pardon the expression, but damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you act too quickly and cut out a lot of the red tape, you're criticized for acting unilaterally. If you take your time with this process, you're criticized for taking too long. That was his his, his take on this. Um, either way, it's a process that does seem to be taking longer than some other states. There are others who are well into having decided what phase 1B is going to look like, and some have already launched phase 1B. Well, and we can talk about phase 1B all we want. We still don't have phase 1A complete. So, you know, last night we aired a story where uh, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett was basically begging home health care workers to get their their vaccines to to go and and basically sign up through a website because they're not necessarily affiliated with a provider. You know, if if you work in a hospital setting, the hospital can administer the vaccine right there. If you're a home health care worker, that setup is very different. And so we're hearing from healthcare workers who are not affiliated with the hospital setting like that, who themselves are want to be vaccinated but the, the communication hasn't been super great about how they can do that. Well, and there are now more than 1,200, at least last count I heard, more than 1,200 approved vaccinators. That number's probably higher now. And that, pharmacies all across the state 
have been approved as vaccinators. It's not just the hospitals. Initially, the hospitals were first, largely because the Pfizer vaccine, we know it's got that cold storage requirement, that extreme cold storage. So it had to be distributed to hubs that had the proper refrigeration equipment and could then be distributed to hospitals, which had to act quickly before the vaccine would spoil. And so your distribution capacity was pretty limited. Moderna does require cold storage, but not to the same degree, so it can be distributed more widely. But we've got all these vaccinators all across the state, many of whom have no doses in hand because the vaccine wasn't able to be distributed to them. And so you could see those home health workers potentially going to the local Walgreens or CVS if it was available, but those appointments don't seem to be happening just yet, and perhaps that's going to happen soon. And that does lead me to talk about what we referenced earlier, Amanda, which is the question of the role of pharmacies in inoculating nursing home residents, because that's really the one of the most significant parts of Phase 1A that Wisconsin still hasn't gotten very far with. Um, there are a lot of people, particularly in assisted living facilities, the skilled nursing residents, many of them are now taken care of, not all, but many, but assisted living is still a very extremely vulnerable population, many of whom are still waiting to find out not just if or they know they will get vaccines, it's not a matter of if, but when they'll get scheduled to get their vaccines. And a reason, a big part of the reason for that slow process, there is a whole separate program set aside for nursing home residents, and it's called the Federal Pharmacy Partnership Program. So we'll just call it the PPP from now on, but the Federal Pharmacy Partnership Program uh, is something that was designed to get CVS and Walgreens in particular set up so that they could do on-site visits and inoculate nursing home residents. And each state uh, that signed on to be a part of that program had to agree to certain things. And one of those things was they had to agree to, once they committed to the program, they had to wait two weeks before they could even begin the inoculations. And they had to show that they had enough supply on hand to inoculate at least 50% of the state's nursing home population before they began. And Wisconsin just recently hit that threshold. So we've had a bunch of doses piling up on shelves that weren't being used because there were requirements in this federal part pharmacy partnership program that we had to meet before we could start doing it. Now you look at a state like West Virginia that's at the top of the list in terms of how far they've gotten so far, they chose not to be a part of this federal program. Instead, they put their, uh, their vaccination trust into a bunch of mom and pop pharmacies rather than the big pharmacy chains. They didn't sign on to this program. Therefore, they weren't bound by some of those restrictions and they started injecting nursing home residents right away. Now, in the long run, will Wisconsin and other states catch up to West Virginia? Perhaps they will. But certainly early on, uh, West Virginia seems to be well ahead of others. And right now, if they've gotten most of their nursing home home population inoculated, they can start to focus on these other groups entirely. And as new doses come in, that's where they can be distributed. Wisconsin still has a long way to go just to complete phase 1A, much less move on to phase 1B. But I want to be clear about one thing there as well. 1A does not have to be entirely 100% complete before the state moves on to phase 1B. In fact, they expect there will be overlap among all the phases. Uh, if they waited for phase 1A to be wrapped up, there would be a lot of unnecessary delay in waiting to start 1B. So they will begin 1B as soon as there's final approval and vaccine doses start coming in for that as well. And then you're going to see both groups eligible at the same time. Well, and an interesting part of West Virginia's strategy with going with the mom and pop pharmacies is also 
uh, it gets at an issue you brought up earlier in this episode, Brian, and that's trust in the vaccine. So by having local mom and pop pharmacies set up basically vaccine clinics in rural communities, they found people were more likely to trust their local pharmacist who they had a relationship with, even if they were initially skeptical about the vaccine. In West Virginia, they've been so successful with this rollout, they actually just lowered the age um, down to down to 70 of, of the next group that they are going to vaccinate. Um, and so, you know, there, there are issues with that. But you're right, Brian, in that you can't completely wait for 1A to be done, especially because the nature of vaccinating healthcare workers and people who are in assisted living, people who are in nursing homes, it's not going to be done in in a neat line. So for example, if you're a pregnant healthcare worker and you decide, you know what, I don't want to get this vaccination in my first trimester of pregnancy. I'd rather wait until the second, until the, the baby is more developed. You can choose to do that. And then when you go and get your vaccine, the idea is you will still be prioritized, but they can't sit around and, and wait for all those healthcare workers to do that. Or for example, in nursing homes, I, I have a grandfather in a nursing home, not here in Wisconsin, but he, um, you know, he's, he's not completely all there. He's in his nineties and he, there's a big language barrier. He speaks very little English and they tried to give him his vaccine and he was refusing it because he didn't, he didn't understand what was going on. And so, you know, by the time he's able to understand and consent, you have a large part of that population that isn't really able to consent at any given point, especially depending on the day, that, that can take a long time. But then those people are still supposed to be prioritized if and when they get to the point where, where they are in a position to say, yes, I can get this. So as much as we like to categorize things as, you know, simple, neat lines, 1A, 1B, we move from one to the next. It's never really going to be that way. Well, and we know that in phase 1A, at least, we know who those who are, uh, uh, you know, in that priority group are. We know it's the nursing home residents. We know it's the healthcare workers. There are all these questions about just phase 1B, but one of the biggest questions that lawmakers are getting, that we're getting in the news media, that, that state health officials and local health officials are getting, is questions from the general public, people just saying, well, when am I even going to be able to sign up for this? And in other states, I know my uh, 70-year-old mother is in another state, in the state of Missouri, and she just recently was able to sign up for her vaccine. Now, she doesn't have it yet. Not exactly sure when she's getting it, but she's got, There's a there was a place she could go, she could register, she could sign up, she could get in line. And, and for her, that was comforting to know, okay, I'm in the system I, you know, I'm going to be notified when it's available. I feel like something's happening. One of the real criticisms here in Wisconsin has been there is nothing like that. There is no structure. There is no software system. There's no website yet. And I think that's going to be rolled out soon. But there is nothing that the Department of Health Services has where you can go and say, I'm 65, I have lung cancer, and I'm really concerned. When can I get my shot? That's the number one question. When? And so looking at beyond just the the phase 1B categories of who are the essential workers, when can the average person start to think about signing up? And one of the questions that still hasn't been determined here in Wisconsin for phase 1B is whether people 65 and older will be a part of that. We know that 70 and older has been included. 
uh, that, that was determined last week, that uh, the vaccine subcommittee said people 70 and older, plus some of these other groups that they, they, they pointed out, um, which includes teachers, uh, important to get, obviously, educators, um, other first responders who weren't a part of phase 1A, prison workers, prisoners, and so on. But what about people 65 to 70? Uh, they are still in a very high-risk category. We know that the CDC just recently and, and, and Trump administration just recently changed guidance saying that they believe all people 65 and older nationwide should be a part of phase 1B and should be able to get this. So that hasn't yet been part of the plan here in Wisconsin, although that plan is not approved. I suspect tomorrow morning that's going to be a topic of discussion among the uh, vaccine subcommittee panelists, but we'll, we'll see that next meeting is Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., and we'll be watching to see what is discussed there. But there's a big question about just when can the general public get this? What we do know is there are a lot of variables in terms of how much vaccine gets here from the federal government and how quickly we get through the populations. The goal right now from the Department of Health Services, they say, is they're looking at late spring, the uh, assistant deputy secretary of DHS used the term June-ish for when they hope to get a mass vaccinations of the general public. So even those of us who don't fall into any high-risk category, June-ish, they say. I think there are some who hope it's going to be faster than that, uh, because if it's not until June or July that mass vaccinations start to happen here, then the question is how long will it take to reach so-called herd immunity, that point at which we can start to relax all the restrictions we're so tired of, when we can start to gather in mass again, when we can start to go without masks, um, when life can return to somewhat normal. So if it's June or July before mass vaccinations happen, Amanda, we are talking potentially the fall or even next year before this can happen, and some say that's just too long. So there's a lot of pressure to speed this process up. How will the introduction of, of new vaccines into the market play a role in that? So right now we're, we're working with Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, but we know that AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson are on the cusp of having their vaccines ready to go here. So does that speed up the process or does that add more red tape and, and more problems or both? I, I think there's actually great hope that it's going to speed up the process substantially in part because not only do those vaccines not require the same cold storage of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, but they are one dose regimens. And that is actually going to uh, greatly simplify the process in, in uh, for some. And, and, and it's not entirely clear who is going to get the uh, AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson vaccines versus the others. One of the concerns with those uh, third and fourth vaccines uh, to potentially be approved is their success rates or their, their effectiveness rates aren't as high. They're not 95%. Um, they're, they're still well above the threshold the FDA set, which was, they, they said in the beginning, they just needed to see a vaccine that was 50% effective. And I'm not exactly sure. I haven't seen the latest numbers on, on uh, maybe you have, Amanda, on, on the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines. They're well in excess of 50%. They're not 95%. Um, but because of the ease of uh, distribution, because of the easier storage requirements, because there is not uh, a two-dose regimen, it's a one-dose, it's expected that's going to significantly speed up the process of getting more people inoculated more quickly. And so the while the pace we are on, if you looked at where we are now compared to when this started, the pace we are on puts us at June or July for getting mass vaccinations done. The introduction of these others may well speed things up that we could still be looking at perhaps maybe April. I don't know right at this point if anybody's looking at March as mass vaccinations. I think early on that was a hope. It doesn't look like that right now. But this changes so quickly, 
we'll keep talking about it, Amanda, and we could be talking about a whole new uh, prognosis within a couple of weeks. At the moment, though, I would say if you're not one of these priority groups, uh, I wouldn't expect to get your injection until uh, at least later in the spring. Well, and the way that these different vaccines work um, is also what makes it complicated, right? So if you get the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine, when you come back, they can't just be like, hey, we're going to stick you with the second dose of the Moderna vaccine. Like the way that this is all tracked has to be really meticulous. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this is all rolled out, especially when we get the introduction of the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine. I think the last thing I read about the AstraZeneca vaccine was that it was somewhere around 70% effective and uh, Johnson & Johnson was hovering right around 80% last time I checked, which are still well above that 50% threshold. But, you know, when you're talking consumer confidence, certainly when you hear, you know, nine, that other vaccines are 95% effective, it's not like you can show up and say, just give me the Pfizer vaccine or just give me the Moderna vaccine. Um, but that might be what people have more trust in since they've been hearing about it longer and you see those higher percentages of effectiveness. So it will also be interesting to see what happens with confidence and trust in the vaccine as the months go on. Well, and trust is a big thing because we talked about, the, uh, when I was at that health committee hearing last week, Dr. John Raymond, who's the CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin, um, and as part of the Wisconsin Medical Society, he spoke on behalf of the Medical Society. He told the health committee members uh, that we need to reach 75 to 80% of the population either with the vaccine or with infection of the virus. 75 to 80% need to be exposed to the virus one way or another for us to reach that so-called point of herd immunity, which is when this pandemic comes to an end, or at least gets back to a place where we can start to live a more normal life. There are some that hope it may not take 75 to 80%. There is some hope that maybe 50 to 60% would be enough to make that difference. He said he was more on the conservative end, thinking 75 to 80% is necessary. Now, that leaves the question of just how many people have already been exposed. If you look at straight numbers of reported cases, Wisconsin's in that 10 to 15% range. But he said there is a belief that there's obviously a large number of people who've been exposed who were never symptomatic. So the actual number of people who've been exposed may well be as, as high as 25 or 30 percent. He thinks it's probably closer to maybe that 15, 20 percent range. But let's say it's 15 percent. Uh, that means to reach 75 percent, we need 60 percent of the population to get the vaccine, not the full 80. So if 60 percent of people get vaccinated, we reach the threshold where this thing gets knocked down. Again, right now, Wisconsin's at 2.9 percent. We are a long way. And that's one of the other reasons that where different states are in the process right now, from a big picture perspective, doesn't really mean much of anything. It means a lot to the individual who's been inoculated. If your grandmother's in a nursing home and, and has or hasn't gotten the vaccine, it makes a big difference to you in terms of her safety. But big picture in terms of the spread of the virus, 2%, 3%, 6% doesn't make a difference. It's nowhere near the amount needed to knock down this virus completely. So obviously mask wearing, social distancing, and restrictions will continue until we get a lot well, further. And we should point out, and we pointed it out on this podcast before, once you've been vaccinated, we still don't have the data to show whether the vaccine is effective at stopping the spread of COVID-19. So we know the vaccine will keep you from getting sick, um, but it's not this matter of invincibility 
once you're vaccinated, there is a potential, and, and we have to operate this way until we have more research, there is a potential that you could spread it to other vulnerable people. So that's why the, the more people who get vaccinated, the the easier it is to, to go back to some of those more normal parts of everyday life. I know that is what a lot of people are invested in right now. Um, and I know that, Brian, a lot more questions are going to pop up about this issue um, as we look at vaccine rollout. And I am uh, I am confident that you'll stay on that. Yeah, it's uh, consuming our, our everydays these days, but it's uh, the most important issue probably facing the country right now. Certainly one of the most important, and, and we'll stay on top of it. And as we do that, we're going to continue bringing you these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover the pandemic, reckless driving, police community relations, and so much more. So if there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda. Happy birthday, Dave, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Paulson for Amanda St. Hilaire. We'll be back again on Thursday. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.